I'm Stephanie Howe, co-host of Get Inspired and Innovate, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and good evening. I hope you guys are having a wonderful week. So welcome to My EdTech Life. I am excited to be here with you all today. It is a midweek show. It's very rare right now, but we made it happen, and I am excited because today we have an amazing, amazing guest, and I'm just thrilled to be here talking to her, and she's joining us, and she's going to just share her passion for education. I mean, if you follow her on social media, or actually if you do know uh, the work that Daphne does, she does some amazing, amazing work in empowering students through coding. She's a wonderful educator. And on top of that, she just has a creative outlet that she'll talk a little bit more about and the work that she's doing with Codebreaker. But I am just excited and just very filled with joy that today I have the wonderful and amazing Daphne McMenemy joining us here tonight live on my EdTech Live. Daphne, how are you today, Daphne? (laughs) I'm good, Fonz. How are you? I'm doing great. As you can tell, I am hyped up. I am pumped. It is midweek. And of course, I have a phenomenal guest. And I know the conversation today is going to be amazing. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. I'm so excited to be here. Excellent. Well, Daphne, let's go ahead and get started and dive right in. And, you know, for our audience members that are watching and are getting to know who you are for the very first time and that are going to be rewatching, if you can give us a brief introduction in your context and education. And if you don't mind, if you can add one interesting thing about yourself that people may not know. Okay. So I, this is my 17th year in education. I've been teaching um, in the, so what we call here in Ontario is the primary. So K to three space for um, most of my career. I spent one year in grade four or fourth grade. Um, but my heart belongs to our youngest learners. Definitely. I started my career in um, the, in, in grade two and three, and then I slowly trickled down into first grade and then into kindergarten where uh, my world was sort of rocked. Teaching kindergarten is a whole different ball game. It's a whole different world. Um, you know, physically, you're, you're usually in a different part of the building. Uh, you have a different schedule than everybody else. And you're just teaching these um, tiny people who come to you with just so much awe and wonder in the world. Um, and such a, a vast um, difference in abilities and needs and wants and, and where they all meet you is so different. So uh, I spent four years in kindergarten and it was, um, it, was, it, was, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in education um, and it was absolutely the best thing I've ever done in education. Um, so I moved out of kindergarten last year. Uh, our COVID numbers made it made a... Um, our classes a little bit smaller with remote learning and, and all that sort of stuff. So I am back into grade one and two this year, which um, I think is where my heart is, is, is those tiny little learners who I love. Um, so yeah, so I've been teaching 17 years. Um, 
I've been integrating technology my entire career. Uh, when my career started, technology was overhead projectors and the big TVs on the AV carts <laughs> with VCRs built in. That was a big deal. Um, and then DVD players. Then, uh, you know, I was doing all sorts of stuff with camcorders when I could, when we had options for, for that in our schools. And then I slowly moved into, um, you know, laptops and smart boards and iPads. And then um, I was introduced to uh, coding at a tech conference that I went to here in uh, Ontario, Niagara Falls. And um, I went into a session where this kindergarten teacher was using uh, robots in her classroom and she was teaching her kindergarten students how to code. And I thought if, if she can do it, I, I can absolutely do it. I was teaching grade one and two at the time. Um, and so I brought robots home from the conference and brought them straight into my classroom. And here we are six years later, and um, it's a major part of my program. Nice. So, I, I, yeah. I love that. I love that. And I mean, just to hear, you know, just the, the way that everything moved and what you were already trying to do and applying all that tech and then just going to a conference. And usually that's kind of where it starts. I mean, a very similar story for myself, going to a conference and then learning more about coding and just don't tell Brian this, but <laughs> you know, I, I started following Brian and I was like, man, this guy's pretty good. So I started right? getting a lot of ideas <laughs> and I started integrating a lot of that when I was doing sixth grade. And then I moved to fifth grade when I started a full on coding club at our elementary. And it was just wonderful. But to, to hear you like just so enthusiastic about bringing this in with the littles. Now, I, I, I know oftentimes there may be teachers that may think, oh, no, like we can't do that. That's that's just too much. But you're doing it. So tell me a little bit about that experience. So when I okay, so you so you spoke about Brian and I remember uh, seeing his journey all over Twitter and I remember seeing the things that he was doing in his classroom with his students and then when he was um, you know traveling and doing things with students everywhere um, I just remember being in awe of of all the stuff that he was doing with these students and and ranging in all ages and um, the different things that he was doing with these kids. And it seemed so out of reach for me at the time. It seemed like something that somebody else could do um, and I would get there eventually, but there was no, I had no sort of plan in place. Um, the year that I brought uh, robotics into my classroom was the year I had a group of kids who I personally found were very disengaged from learning. When, when I got them, they weren't interested in being at school. They were simply, and not all of them, but they were simply there because that was their job. They had to be at school. Um, and a side note, those kids that I taught were my inspiration for writing Gracie, uh, which hopefully we get to chat about later, but, um, but yeah, so I, I met this, you know, I had this group of kids who were, who were really disengaged and I couldn't get them to connect. Uh, you know, I tried different types of technology. It worked with some kids, not others. I couldn't really hook them. And then I brought these robots in and thought, this is something new. Let's try it out. Let's test it. And um, I remember opening the boxes in the classroom with the kids. I'd never used these. I'd never seen them. It was Dash and Dot robots. Um, and we just started pushing buttons and seeing what happened. And all of a sudden, my quietest kids, my kids who I had one little boy who, who hadn't really said more than a sentence to me in months at school um, and didn't talk for most of his kindergarten year, really, really disengaged, suddenly, you know, was engaged and suddenly um, started taking an interest in learning so long as the, this sort of robotics was, was part of it. So I had to, 
I had two options. I could have forced things at him and I tried that. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. And I was just met with silence and I was met with, um, with, uh, with fear, hesitation, not totally sure. I, I still couldn't tell you where his head was at, but he just wasn't interested. And that was a lot of the kids that I had. And then all of a sudden, you know, I had to sort of sit back and figure out how to integrate this because this is what they were interested in, in to my entire program. Um, so at the time coding and robotics was not part of our, uh, curriculum in Ontario. Um, that's actually very new. That just happened last year. So for me to be, um, bringing these robots into the classroom was very sort of play-based and, um, not everybody saw education the same way I did. I didn't share maybe some of the same traditional views or thoughts that others did on education. And so, um, to bring these in and to integrate them into literacy, you know, people didn't see how, how, how you could do that, you know, or integrating our robotics into our science program, into our reading and writing. So um, I was met with a little bit of um, hesitation from other educators, not understanding how I was able to continue to teach the curriculum through this sort of medium. Um, so eventually I just set out to prove that I could and not prove, maybe prove to myself that I could. Um, and I wanted to, you know, I, I started realizing that a lot of people saw this type of technology for our oldest students. And so I started meeting a lot of people who uh, were of the mindset that this type of learning and this type of tech was for our oldest students. We teach them first, and then we can give our older students the job of teaching the younger students. And having taught younger students my entire career, I just saw the benefit of A, having them teach our older students and B, knowing what they were capable of. And if we, I, I just, I became very passionate about allowing our youngest learners to really, um, you know, dive into their own passions and make that decision for themselves, but then teach other people and not necessarily always have to have the big kids teach them and tell them what to do and what things are supposed to be like. I wanted to give my kids this opportunity to say, no, no, look what we can do. We're five, we're six, we're seven years old and look what we can do. Um, and so I started really, really advocating for this type of learning with our youngest learners um, to show um, everyone, you know, that no, no, they can and they should. Because if we wait to start, we're losing so many opportunities and so much time to see where they could be in eight years versus waiting eight years and then have them eventually learn then. So I became a very loud advocate for maybe obnoxious <laughs> might be a fair word um, for the learning that our, our youngest students can do. And, and not just in tech and everywhere. Like, look what we can do. We can do it. You know, it's going to look different because we're little, but we can do it. I mean, it's just the passion. I mean, you see it and you see the potential. And, you know, a lot of what you're saying just really, you know, touches me because I've I had a similar experience. I mean, going in sixth grade and then trying things out and being that the the early adopter, the kind of like trying new things. And even if they fail, it's OK. We tried it. We're going to yeah. figure it out and allowing students and empowering them and then having them teach me. I'm mm -hmm. like, you know, this is really cool. And you build that community. But oftentimes we do not give our students enough credit. Like, you know, we we think like, oh, no, this is this is too much of a waste of a time and so on and so forth. But the skills that you develop and I love what you said, you know, as opposed starting them off young, as opposed to waiting till they get into maybe junior high 
when they may see coding through robotics or maybe, you mm -hmm. know, fourth grade, third grade when they do FL, FFL junior and or the first Lego league and things of that sort. But why not start them off very young and why not include it in curriculum? And so one of the things that I loved and in the elementary that I was at in fifth grade was I would bring out the Makey Makey kits and mm -hmm. I would integrate them into my science class. And we, the students through scratch were creating their own things. They were creating their own little programs to find whether something was a conductor or not a conductor. And they pretty much just learned on their own. I gave them the basics, but they were empowered. They were happy. That's they it. were thrilled. And the other thing is that we noticed is they wanted to come to school. They were always like, no, 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 I don't want to miss class. And they would tell their parents, can we reschedule the dentist or doctor appointment till after I see Mr. Mendoza? Because I want to know what we're going to be doing in class. And I don't want to miss out because we were always had the Chromebooks out. We had the Makey Makey kits out. We were always programming, but we were integrating it into our curriculum, which coding is not part of our curriculum. But I love what my great friend uh, Matt Wood says is like, they don't teach you how to teach the standard, but they give you your sandbox. Mm. I, I was in that sandbox playing around. And sometimes I would kind of get to that edge where they were like, hey, you're kind of pushing it a bit. But, you know, the kids were learning and they were engaged and they were learning skills that are transferable yeah. across curricular. Because if you think about it, that critical thinking, you need that in reading and in a world where we live full of state assessments and things of that sort, I mean, critical thinking, inferencing, computational thinking, they all go hand in hand. And, you know, it's just breaking it, breaking everything down into a little algorithm, simplifying those mm -hmm. problems. And you go from there. But I love what you're doing at such an early age and having them empowered, seeing what they can do and getting so excited about this. So that's wonderful. I love it. It's, it almost became my mission to, to, to prove, I think I had something to prove um, that now I no longer have anything to prove. But at that time in my career, my, and, you know, I, I felt like I had something to prove that, you know, no, look, look what these kids can do. And I felt that, um, and it could have been something that I had, um, you know, interpreted incorrectly, but I felt as though many people looked at, at my students or just young students in general as having sort of a set level of ability because of their age or their experience or, or what have you. And I just, I needed to prove to, to them. And maybe I, I needed to prove to my kids that no, 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 you are more than a label. You are not what people tell you you are, you are what you want to be. Um, and for me, that was the integration of, of coding into my program. That's, that's what it did. Um, and so each, each year, as I moved sort of lower into the grades, um, I, I upped my, my game. So when I started with coding robotics, I was using a very basic sort of path app with these bots. And then as I moved lower, I started introducing, like I went backwards. So I started introducing block coding um, younger and younger. And then I got to kindergarten and I have kindergarten students um, using scratch and makey makey and they're block coding and they're you know four and five years old and I have my students on the first day of, of junior kindergarten here and some of them are three coding because it's 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 not oh my god you're three and you're coding no no oh my god you're three and you're at school and this is part of school now so I just have become an advocate for giving our kids this opportunity and you know there's there's only so long you can live within that sandbox and I have found um 
with me, if I'm sort of forced to be in the sandbox, I get a little messy and loud and obnoxious and then sand goes everywhere and people don't like it. <laughs> take that, take, take that for how you want to read it. Um, but it, the kids do the same thing. And then what I start to find is then we complain because they can't live within the confines of the sandbox we're forcing them to live in. And until we stop to see, well, get them out of the sandbox or make it bigger, um, you know, that's when they start to become empowered learners. And when they become empowered learners, your job becomes so much easier because you just get to sit back and watch and guide as opposed to, you know, point and shout. So it's, uh, I, I, yeah, they, they, they can, and they will, they, they, it is our job to give our learners these opportunities. Um, that is, that is, such an important things that we need to, we, we can't look at them as their age. We just need to look at them as, as, you know, learners and let's, let's let them learn. I love that. I love that. And I mean, just your passion. And like you said, Hey, you know what? I can relate to you. You know, I was one of those that definitely start kicking sand and <laughs> sand was going everywhere, but it's the way that the kid, I mean, you see that they have the potential and you say like, Hey, they can definitely play outside the sandbox and they have the capability and they feel empowered and mm -hmm. they feel comfortable. One of the things that I wanted to touch on is like you were saying is like, you know, one of the biggest lessons that I learned, you know, and it wasn't until I moved from high school to elementary and was able to have, you know, full day with my kiddos and, um, you know, doing the coding and all that good stuff was that community that we built where I can, be, like you said, be that guide on the side mm -hmm. and just watch them watch them just really dive in deep and not just superficial level like hey we're just here to solve the problem and can you know do this but going in deep where they're like hey i i look we took this to another level then all of a sudden i had students with scratch they were building uh, their own solar systems where now they had the camera set up where the solar system was there and they would just point and then all of a sudden they, they had the information for the planet. They were doing the, the water cycle and so on. And it was just wonderful that we had that opportunity. And I, I was posting so much stuff on social media that even Scratch MIT contacted us and they even did a piece on my fifth grade oh, class wow. because of the work that they did. I mean, all I did was just give them the tools, yep. empower them. And I, I said, I stood by the, you know, just stood by them, watched them grow, and they were able to do just some amazing things. And that's the wonderful part about it when you get to empower the students. So that's great. Um, so Daphne, let, let's just go back up, you know, and we're going to get into, of course, Discover Gracie and all of that. But I want to know, and usually, I mean, we got real deep into this, but originally, did you always want to go into education? Or was that something like later on, that you said, oh, you know what, maybe I'll just go into education, you know, let me know about that. Where did that interest for education come from? I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I remember from very young, probably eight or nine years old, um, just deciding that that's what I was going to do. I always loved school. I was that kid. Um, it, it, you know, it, I loved the creative part of school. Um, I liked learning. I just, you know, I had teachers who really, um, you know, there's the, there's, there's the quote that says, they're not going to remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Um, and that's, that's what I can relate to with, with teachers that I had. And I just always sort of, that was my plan. Um, 
But when I went off to university here in Ontario, you need to have, um, you know, a degree and then you get your bachelor of education on top of that. So I was always afraid to um, go to only have a, a teaching degree because I remember, and you know, it's a sad state, but I think we can all relate to that. I remember the teachers who you sort of stood in their class and felt like they didn't enjoy their job and they didn't like students. Um, and so I never wanted to be that teacher. So I always wanted to have what I used to call something to fall back on. I wanted to make sure that um, I had something, you know, I had education enough that I could say, if I ever got to a point in teaching where I decided this is no longer for me, that I had something that I was still passionate about and something that I could still do. So, um, I actually have a degree in criminal justice and public policy. Um, so I, I got that degree and then went to teacher's college and <laughs> became a teacher. So, um, I, I, and I teach in the same school board that I grew up in. So I sort of born and raised in, in the area that I am. And, um, and, and I love that. I have a lot of connection to, to where I teach. I have a lot of connection to, I, I get to see my old teachers. I get to work with some of my old teachers, which is a, a pretty cool thing. But education is just something that's always, there's no teachers in my family. Um, I, it's just something that I've always wanted to do. Um, and I don't know if there was really a why. I just... I can't pinpoint, you know, like a moment or, or, you know, um, a specific teacher. I just know that I've had teachers who just made me feel good. They just made me, you know, feel, um, like I belonged and like I mattered. And so those that I guess sort of pointed me in the direction to where I am today. Perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. And I mean, it's very interesting to hear, you know, you say that you have criminal justice and then you went into teaching. So now my question is to you, once you started teaching, you know, what was something that you wish you knew before you started teaching? What was something I wish I knew? I wish I, I wish I knew that report cards weren't um, the be all and end all of our students. Um because that was, that was always a, a major focus. You know, I need to do this because I need to write report cards. And it took so much away from, um, from being able to see our learners as learners and versus just numbers and data. Uh, numbers and data are important, but uh, the person is more important. And so when we're so focused on numbers and data, we're, we're missing out on opportunities to allow, to learn from our students and to allow them to learn. But I think, um, to be honest, I, I mean, other than, than that, and I think that's a really basic answer because, I mean, report cards are, are a lot of work. Um, but I, I think I can say with honesty that I, there is nothing that I wish I would have known because I am who I am today because I didn't know what I didn't know then. And I had to learn it. And I had to um, burn bridges. I had to make those mistakes. I had to, um, I had to fail. And I had to have a talking to like all of those things needed to happen in order for me to um, become comfortable in who I am, become the educator who I am today. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for everything I didn't know because it, it gave me reason to, to learn it and understand it. Nice. So going along with failures, like you said, you know, that for us as teachers and educators, I mean, that's something that happens. I mean, you learn as you go, you make so, so those mistakes. And I like what one of my friends or he was a guest, Al Kingsley, uh, who said, you know, mistakes, you know, failures, they're stepping stones to mm -hmm. success. So if I may ask, you know, what is maybe a situation or a failure, you know, that helped you, you know, 
I guess, you know, let me see. This is what actually what I want to ask. What is an example of a mistake or failure that you may have experienced and what did you learn from it? So I always, whenever I'm asked this question, I always think of two, two times, one with a student and one with a colleague. And I remember I had a little girl who um, was um, difficult. She, she was a challenge for me. Um, I couldn't connect with her, but what I learned was that I wasn't trying to connect with her. Um, I was fueling her fire so that um, I had reason to send her to the office and I could wash my hands of it um, because I didn't know how to deal with her uh, because she didn't respond to what I thought was best. Um, and then one day she wasn't at school and then the next day she wasn't at school. And on the third day, her mom showed up at school and she wanted to speak to me. And I was uh, quite a new teacher. I think I'd been teaching for only two or three years. Um, and you still have no idea what you're doing and two or three years in. Um, and so she, she wanted to, to have a conversation and she looked me in the eye and she said, um, she does not want to come to school because she thinks that you don't like her. And I was really offended, uh, in that moment, I got my back up immediately. Um, but in the moment I was like, okay, but I, I don't, I don't like her, um, because she makes my job really hard. And then I sort of stopped and thought about that for a second and realized how awful that felt because we don't love all of our students. None of them are supposed to know that. <laughs> a principal said that to me. You don't have to like every kid, but not one of them is ever supposed to know that you don't like them. Um, just like kids don't all love us. And just like adults don't all love us. You know, we don't love everybody we come across, but there, as, as an educator, you are in a position um, to, to have these vulnerable people in front of you and they need to feel loved and they need to feel cared for and they need to feel safe and physically, yes, that goes without saying, but they need to feel safe emotionally. And um, I wasn't doing that for her. And I didn't know that because I didn't care to stop. I didn't care. I didn't know to stop and reflect on that um, because I was just simply looking at her behavior and I wasn't, um, you know, Brian often says, all behavior is a form of communication. And maybe that's what I wished I knew back then, actually, if I could retract my answer. <laughs> and um, she was communicating with me and she was telling me that what I was doing wasn't working for her. And I was too stubborn to change it because I was the boss. Um, and that mom talking to me and, and telling me that was such a huge eye opener for me. And um, for me and this little girl, everything changed the next day. She came into school the next day and I made the decision to change the way I looked at her, change the way I spoke to her, change the way I handled situations. Um, and from then on, we became like best buds. We were, we were, I loved that little girl by the time the year was, I remember crying when I had to say goodbye on the last day of school, because we became, we just developed a really close connection. Um, and it took that point. It took sort of hitting that point where she did not want to come to school anymore. And it was because of me and that's not ever supposed to happen. So that was a really big one that sort of turned uh, the way I looked at um, kids who sort of are coming to us and maybe they're, they're not as easy as other kids. Um, and then in my technology journey, I was really, as you can tell, super passionate about it. And what I started to, what I didn't know that I was doing was throwing my passion at other people, but not in a, um, hey, this is what I love kind of way. It was, hey, this is what you should be doing kind of way. And so I started to um, really advocate for coding and, and why it was important in our program, but I wasn't listening to people. I wasn't listening um, to body language. I wasn't listening to comments. I wasn't listening to sort of the unspoken things that people were saying. 
or weren't saying. Um, and I started seeing that because they weren't moving in their journey as fast as I was, I started seeing it as them not moving at all. When in fact, what I realized is they were moving at the speed with which they were comfortable at. And so what it, it caused a lot of friction between myself and my colleagues because I wasn't um, open um, to, I wasn't having an open mind to what they were trying to say. I was simply looking at what I thought that they weren't doing. So it took my amazing administrator to sit back and sit with me and say, here's what it sounds like from their end. Um, and until she said that to me, I had no idea that that's how I was coming across. Um, and it took, she was very kind and she was very gracious about it. And she was very, and she was waiting too. She, it was, it was not a conversation of this is what you're doing wrong. It was, you know, this is what you need to understand about how you're coming across. And so it really allowed me to sit back and kind of reflect and, and think about how I was, um, just, you know, passing my message along or sharing what I, what I was passionate about, uh, sharing my message and how you can do that in a way that doesn't overwhelm people, that doesn't make people feel like they're less than because they're not where you are. And so I really learned how to, um, and still learning how to do that, um, to make sure that I'm respecting all of my colleagues and respecting where they are in their journey and understanding that their journey doesn't need to mirror mine. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, you know, that was a big, a big, a big stepping stone for me was realizing that, you know, I needed to kind of sit back and my way was not the only way. Took, took time to learn that. Yeah. Oh, but that's great. I mean, like you said, you know, and it's what it is. It's a journey. It's a learning journey. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't even matter how long you've been in education. I mean, we're continually learning things. And I think the most important thing is to, be very receptive of, you know, like, hey, you know, I, I sometimes you may not realize the way that we may be coming off or mm -hmm. things of that sort. And it's OK yeah. to say, hey, you know what, let me reflect on that. I'm so sorry. Let me take a different approach. But you're always learning. I mean, we are in the people business like Josh Tovar, who's joining us here. I love what he always says. We are in the people business. Yeah. You know, we work with colleagues. We work with adults. We work with kids. And you know, that it, it's all about communication and, uh, you know, figuring that out. And sometimes, like you said, it's important to take that step back and, and just take things in a different approach and respect where everybody's at. And especially now, you know, going from, uh, you know, going from brick and mortar to virtual mm -hmm. and then now coming back, uh, you know, and now, you know, there's teachers that feel a little bit more comfortable with the tech. There's teachers that now are coming back and it's the, I call it the muscle memory you know, they come back in that comfort zone and, you know, they just kind of put the tech aside and now everything is kind of the way that they used to teach mm -hmm. and so on. So now let me ask you about that. You know, how has your transition been from virtual to now coming back face to face? You know, what is what are some of the challenges that maybe you have seen uh, for yourself and maybe just, uh, you know, th with uh, within the school district? So I as much as I love technology, I eat, sleep and breathe you know, my phone, my laptop, my iPad, fill in the blanks. Um, I loathed <laughs> virtual learning because I, I love my people and um, I like to be in the room with them and, and all that hands-on learning. So coming back into the classroom was absolutely best case scenario for me. 
as as far as challenges are concerned, I think the biggest challenge for me is sort of all of the the physical protocols we obviously have to follow um, for safety. So, you know, we can't gather in groups. Um, so that makes things really difficult because we're, you know, we're all sitting in desks in rows facing forward. Um, I've never had to teach that way. So learning to be able to live within those confines and making sure that all my students are physically safe um, has been uh, very challenging. I've had to learn new ways to build community because so much of what I was doing had to do with physical space in the classroom. Um, even as far as like, you know, I started thinking about, you know, why my students are maybe behaving a certain way at a certain time of day. And um, when we, with, with our younger students, we're constantly moving. We're transitioning from reading on the carpet in the rocking chair to sitting in our groups to moving to another group. And that's no longer happening. So if we were getting up five, six times within half an hour, moving to a different space to do the same lesson, we're now only sitting in a chair at a desk facing forward for that exact amount of time. And there's only so many, you know, get up and let's do a random, you know, uh, just dance on the smart board. They don't, they're not interested in that. They, that is not, you know, enough movement for them. It, it's not purposeful transition for them. Um, so I've had to figure out ways to ensure that they, that their needs are being met in terms of how they're moving through the classroom, but also making sure that obviously they're safe. Um, that has been one of the biggest challenges. And then obviously teaching with a mask and, you know, all of, all of that stuff makes things physically challenging, but, um, and the physical challenges obviously are exhausting. And so that, that adds to that sort of emotional piece. So the other sort of biggest, um, it's, it's not, okay, it's a challenge because it's something you have to be constantly aware of. You just have to be constantly aware of your mindset and where you are. And am I, how much time am I spending complaining about having to wear a mask? Um, because that's not healthy. You know, how much time am I spending complaining that my kids are behaving in a way that I'm not enjoying? Am I spending more time complaining about it? Or am I spending more time reflecting on how to uh, either get over it or get on with it? So that's challenging too, is making sure that you're allowing yourself time to vent and, 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 you know, say what you need to say and get it out there, but then pulling it back in and making sure that you're still focusing on the, the really great things that are happening right now. So making sure that you have that balance. Yeah, no. And that's very important, you know, and at least, you know, throughout, you know, seeing my friends on social media and then getting to talk to some of my friends, you know, uh, you know, through our chats and things of that sort, you know, and asking them the same thing, you know, what have been some of your biggest challenges? And, you know, they mentioned, you know, it's in coming back, you know, teachers seem to be fighting to get back to the way things were mm -hmm. and not adapting to the way things are now are. and the way that they're moving. And I think you said it very well, where, Am I spending more time just complaining, complaining because I want to go back to the way things were? But, you know, it's OK. Get it out there. You know, voice voice what you need a voice. But then it's like, hey, you know what? Let's improvise. Let's adapt. Let's overcome and let's move forward from this point on. Mm -hmm. And like you said, focus on those little victories, those little micro victories that you can get, you know, day in and day out and just continually move forward and, you know, focus on that. And, but yeah, like you said, that balance definitely is important. And before we start talking a little bit more about Gracie, I, I'm curious to know too, Daphne, what are some ways that you yourself too, as well, um, keep, keep up professionally, you know, as far as PD, uh, PD on your own conferences, things of that sort, what are some ways that you seek that professional development? 
Um, I, I love conferences. Obviously, things are a little bit different right now, but um, I will go to any conference that I'm allowed to go to. I love, I just really love learning. Um, I was the, you know, the kid who would sit in the back of the class and just listen all day long to, to you know, just learning. I love to learn. I love to read. Um, I, I, I'm an educator, but I'm also an editor for, um, for Codebreaker, so I read daily. <laughs> um, I get a lot of professional development through social media and through, you know, our professional learning network there. Um, I will follow certain educators and I will uh, reach out to certain people when I'm looking for something specific. I love researching um, just whatever sort of topic I'm interested in. And then with my PLN, what I, what I'm, learning to do is, is build that network around those specific things. So if I'm looking for something on, um, you know, STEM and making, I'm going to reach out to Chris Woods because he is sort of, you know, a go-to on that. If I'm looking for, um, anything coding and tech, I'm going to, you know, reach out to Brian. If I'm looking for something on leadership, um, well, I'm going to reach out to Brian as well, but I have, you know, a, a host of different, uh, people that I've met through social media, um, and what I love about that is I, it, you know, the people that I'm talking to are tried and true. So I can say, Hey, what do you think about this tool? Or what do you think about this strategy? Um, and they've done it and they've used it so they can, they can tell me with honesty, Hey, it worked for these reasons. It didn't work for these reasons. Um, but I get a lot of my professional development from just people who are, are doing the work. Um, and, and Yeah. Yeah, no, and I'm with you on that. I think with being connected now is the biggest thing. And, yeah. you know, starting back in 2017 when I first joined Twitter and not realizing, you know, the importance of being a connected educator till later on where, it, uh, you know, before it was just following people and now it's actually connecting. And like you said, you know, if I want an answer, I'm going to go straight to the source. I'll just tweet somebody or yeah. just direct message them and say, hey, any suggestions? And you know, it's amazing. The, the, like, you know, uh, Ma Matthew Joseph says the power of connections, you know, that's what his whole book's about. And being able to collaborate with people, not just within your school, within your state, you know, but around the globe and get mm -hmm. ideas from the people that are doing it. That definitely is amazing. And I love having that access, especially, you know, through the Codebreaker family. And of course, Brian, being a great leader and then everybody that has, you know, been part of the Codebreaker family too as well. It, they're people that are out there that are just not talking the talk, but I mean, they're walking that walk yeah. and it's great to be able to be part of that family too as well. So talking about inspiration, talking about, you know, the, what you do for Codebreaker too as well, but you yourself have also uh, authored a book and We've got here Discover Gracie. So I have been popping, I did pop in the link into the chat, but I will be popping this into the show notes as well. So tell us a little bit about the inspiration or the, the story behind, uh, you know, Gracie here. So this is my favorite story. <laughs> so um, Gracie is based on, um, the, the character of Gracie is based on three students or four students that I taught. Um, as I mentioned earlier, sort of disengaged from school and, I took, I took these kids and I kind of um, took the best pieces of all of them and, and built this, this little character and, and, and this is Gracie. So Gracie's um, that kid whose teacher brings a robot into school and teaches her how to code and, you know, her imagination kind of comes to life and she starts to realize all of the things that she can do and learn um, and learn about and um, through this robot and through, through coding. And um 
Gracie came to life through these, my students, um, but the the actual idea came, um, or the actual, the, the, the project itself came to life uh, because of uh, Brian, um, our, our friend Brian Aspinall. So um, I had been to a conference and uh, I was presenting at a conference. I had a friend there, a mutual friend of mine and Brian's who I, I didn't know. I didn't know Brian at the time. A couple weeks later, that friend was at another conference with Brian and um, they exchanged uh, my name. And then Brian reached out to me and had asked, uh, you know, I'd heard about you at this conference. Um, you know, are you interested in writing a blog for, for my website? So I was very starstruck. Um, I, was a, I was a big fangirl and I was following everything he was doing on Twitter. I loved what he was doing in this classroom. So absolutely, I'm going to write this blog post for you. And um, so I did. And it was very well received. I was really excited to do that. And then a few months later, he reached out and he said, um, have you ever considered writing a children's book? Um, and it was through a DM. And I remember responding, yes, but I've never known where to start. And he responded with what I've said forever is the three words that kind of changed my life. And he said, you just start. So I remember reading those, those words and literally grabbing a piece of paper and a pen where I was, I was sitting outside at the time. And I just started that. That's exactly what I did. So at the time, I knew that I wanted it to be about um, coding, um, but I knew that there was quite a few books about coding, and I didn't, I wasn't familiar with any um, about robotics. So I knew that it wanted to be, I wanted it to be about robotics, and it had to be about a little girl because I'm a girl and I have a little girl, and I advocate for girls in STEM. And I took pieces of my life and sort of sprinkled it throughout the whole book. Um, and Gracie, Gracie came to life. Gracie will be uh, out for two years. Um, this December, she'll be almost two years old. Um, so she, Gracie came out in December of 2019. The following summer, Brian and I collaborated together and we wrote the second book called What Happens When I Learn to Code. And Gracie is the main character. It's a nonfiction and it basically goes through um, sort of all of those soft skills. So when I learn to code, I'm a risk taker and here's why. And it kind of gives kids um, that sort of real life stuff of what you become as you learn to code. And then the third book came out last year and it was called Gracie the Maker. And Gracie the Maker is the story of Gracie and she meets a, a new friend and they have a class pet that is a tortoise and the tortoise has a problem. And so together they build this sort of uh, Rube Goldberg contraption with uh, coding in there to uh, help this uh, tortoise and solve its problem. And they, they do that through um, coding and STEM and making. And, um, and that, was, that was the third Gracie that came out last year. Man, that is awesome. I, I love that. And, you know, one of the things that you said, you know, advocating for girls in STEM, and this is something that's definitely very important. And I know being when I was in the classroom and even now doing summer STEM camps, and I know for a while, because of pandemic, we, we haven't done those, but I'm just excited to be able to get those going again. I mean, it was just great to be able to have, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, uh, girls that were just so interested in coding mm -hmm. and just doing some amazing work, being part of the code club and just taking off from there. And then, of course, in the summer STEM camps, what I loved is as the years went by in the summer STEM camps, you know, the last year that we were able to actually do it face to face, it was a 50 50 split between boys amazing. and girls. And I loved it. And to me, it's something that is so important because I, I'm a big advocate for that in uh, girls in STEM. And, you know, one of the things in my research studies that I've done and uh, during my doctoral program, uh, you know, taking a, a course in special topics in STEM and talking about that, like, what can we do to promote? What can we do to get more girls involved in STEM? To me, that's uh, that 
is relevant. We definitely need more of that. And I love the fact that you take your passion for tech, you take your own personal story there too as well. And now you have created Gracie here and these books. Tell us a little bit about here, Gracie TV. What is Gracie TV? <laughs> so Gracie TV was something I started doing during the pandemic, um, much like all of us picked up some kind of random habit or rather um, hobby. And so Gracie TV, it's it's the link to our uh, Codebreaker YouTube channel. And so I use an app to uh, make Gracie videos. And so I've got Gracie there on the screen and she talks through this app. And then I just created a, a variety of, of, there's some how-to videos, some explainer videos. Um, and I just, I, I make them for fun because I... I love to make things and that uh, I just create little videos with um, I use we video I use my I use uh, uh, Apple's keynote I use a couple of apps on my phone and I just kind of smash everything together I add some graphics and music and um, and create little videos when I when I uh, when I feel like it. That's awesome. That's <laughs> wonderful. But it's great. You know, you know, it's a creative outlet for it you. Is. You know, you created this character out of your passion. And I think that's something that people need to see. That's something that students need to see. And I know when Brian was here, he said, you know, he found his passion for Codebreaker, you know, while he was teaching. But he was always advocating for students to say, hey, find your passion, yeah. you know, find it and monetize it, you know, do something with it. But, you know, it's funny that you, you know, those words also resonate with me. Ju you just start you just mm -hmm. do it and you know thanks to brian for that too as well because he's definitely played a, a big role in in what i've been able to do and you know always just thinking about what he does and obviously his book that just came out also was great just to hear his story and um oftentimes people think like oh no i, I can never do that i mean these people they're, they're they're edu famous they, they they've got it all together i was like no mm. man we're we're just regular people and then when they get to see you here on the show and they got to see brian they're like you know it's like hey that that's just a regular guy regular person but they're just sharing their passion they're yeah. just putting themselves out there and how do you start you just start you just, start. You just do it and that's it so that's wonderful i did pop the link here into the chat as well because uh, there you do have a contact uh, info here just in case anybody's ever interested mm -hmm. in bringing daphne to their campus their school maybe for a camp or anything of that sort you can definitely get in contact with her as well but again all of this will be there in the show notes also, and I love what Josh Tover says here. Like he also says, it's like, hey, we all put our pants on the same way. <laughs> you know, maybe one, I don't know, one maybe leg, left leg, legs. maybe both legs. I don't know. It just all depends, but we just do it and we get there. Wow. So anyway, Daphne, thank you so much. And uh, we're not done yet. You know, just uh, transitioning here to some other questions as we're kind of getting to the tail end of the show here. But I just wanted to talk to you a little bit more, you know, as far as um, your fork in the road moment have you ever had a fork in the road moment and what led you either left or right in that fork in the road moment can you share something with us there um i think um let's see I mean, if, we, if we go to the education i think um there was a moment in my career where or at the when i started my career i i was always of the belief that you um, walked into a school, you started teaching and you left and retired 25 years later. I didn't, um, I didn't love change. I didn't, uh, know that you, you know, 
obviously I knew people would, you know, could become administrators. Uh, that wasn't something that I was interested in. So I just thought I'd walk into a school and after my, the first five years at my school, the school shut down. So I was forced to, to go to another school. So I went to another school and again, I still had the same outlook. I'll, I'll just be here till my career's done. Um, and then I got to a point where I had this sort of sudden urge to, to change. I needed change. I'd been teaching the same grade for almost eight years at that school. And I don't know where it came from. It was the first time I'd ever felt that um, I something needed to change. I needed something different. And I begged my administrator to put me into a kindergarten program. And that was a, a huge leap. It, it didn't feel like it on paper. You were teaching grade one. You're going to go teach kindergarten. It's only a year it was, uh, it was, I can't even describe the change and nobody can describe it unless you've been there. <laughs> um, and yeah, that, that was that moment where I had to sort of decide, do I want to stay here in, in grade one and two and, and continue what I'm doing? And I, I, I felt like I was good at it and it was comfortable because I'd been doing it for so long. Um, or do I take this big leap here and I might hate it. Um, I might love it. I don't know. And I had to kind of make that decision from, comfort and discomfort. Um, but the gains that I would have gotten from discomfort, obviously were going to outweigh comfort. And sort of, it was that moment that was, I think the tipping point for me, because when I moved into kindergarten, it was extremely difficult, um, for a whole host of reasons, but it was the best decision I ever made because it made me see that change was good. Um, forced and it wasn't forced change. I, I, I made the choice. Um, and it made me grow exponentially as an educator to, 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 to be able to do that. And then, you know, I stayed there for one year and then I changed schools and I stayed there for a couple of years. And then I met Brian and, and made a huge leap into uh, working with Brian at Codebreaker. And then, you know, now to moving to another school. And so now, you know, change is, um, it's just kind of what I've become. Like when I get to a point where I feel like I'm ready to keep going, I just keep going and I go in the direction that I feel like I need to go. Whereas that was never part of how I sort of saw things before. So that mm -hmm. moment of comfort or discomfort, where, which way should I go? And I chose discomfort was the best thing that I ever did. Oh, that's great. I love you. I, I love that you share that story and just being so transparent and so honest, because oftentimes, you know, like I said, you know, people see you on social media or they see like, Hey, you know what? They're, I think it's just like that whole edge of famous thing and, you know, things like that sort. But like Josh was saying, it's like, hey, we're people, we go through things too as well. But I love that you're sharing and you're just openly transparent and honest and I think a, a very genuine. And that's something more that we need, you know, and that's why I love doing these shows and bringing people on to share with them, you know, hey, you know, everybody goes through a struggle. Everybody goes yeah. through those tough decisions. But look at the that outcome. Look at the, how, you know, great things turned out. You know, sometimes they may not turn out as great, but again, you know, those that learning, those are stepping stones towards success. Those are stepping stones into a different direction. And it's okay to feel uncomfortable. And sometimes, you know, that's where you get refined and you continue yeah, to grow. So, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, very true. All right. So Daphne, what are some ways that you yourself, you know, just kind of get out of your headspace, you know, when let's say you have a hard day, you know, or maybe just, you know, I just said, you know, I just need to disconnect. What are, what are some things that you love to do for fun to get out of your headspace? Um, so I'm a hockey player, not a good one. <laughs> People go, Oh, wow, you are. Yeah, no, not that great. Uh, so that is a big part of my, uh, after school 
sort of decompressing time. I play with uh, a bunch of girlfriends um, once a week and that like I live for Tuesday nights. So that is a, a, a ton of fun. Um, I like to, I like to create things. I like to make things. I like to, um, during COVID, I start, we, we have a, a pet tortoise and during COVID I started watching, uh, YouTube videos and I taught myself how to crochet. So I make tortoise sweaters <laughs> because it entertains me. <laughs> so I just, I like to just make things. Um, and then, you know, if I really just need sort of some downtime, I just kind of like to watch TV and just sort of numb the brain from, from thinking and, you know, not trash TV, not, not reality TV, just, you know, regular old, you know, TV that I've seen. Like, I think I've, I've watched Schitt's Creek the entire series three times, <laughs> like just that comfort TV. I've watched Dirty Dancing and Footloose a million times. Just, I know what's coming. I don't have anything to think about. And it's just nice to kind of sit and unwind. Oh, no, I'm with you on that. You know, sometimes I like to veg out. And what I do is I'll just I love to watch um, cooking shows. And so I'll just watch cooking and I'll just yeah. put them on repeat. But yeah. I already know what's coming. But like I said, it's just <laughs> it's a way for me just to decompress and mm -hmm. it helps me out. All right. So a couple of other things here. I wanted to ask, what would you say currently is your edu kryptonite? OK, so I thought about this. And um, I think right now there is a big discussion on um, learning gaps or learning loss or a lot of focus on um, what our kids can't do as a result of not having been at school for 18 months or in school for 18 months. Um, and I get really heated when people start to talk about that because you know, if we're looking at our young learners, you know, we, we can say things like, well, you know, they, they barely know their letters. Yeah. Cause they haven't been at school for 18 months. Like we can't, we're, we just, we have, we can't expect miracles from these kids who have not been a tr in a traditional learning space. And especially our youngest learners, this may be their first sort of real or normal. I don't like that word, but year at school. Um, and look how different it is. So I get really passionate about, or it's not, I get heated. I get, I get angry <laughs> when we're, spending our time right now focusing on, you know, um, building those academic marks and, and making sure that they, that they're catching up on everything that they didn't learn before that they missed out on or that they don't know. Um, that's not our focus right now. Our focus needs to be on building our community. Our focus right now needs to be on, and, you know, we can say relationships, relationships who are blue in the face, but no, it, it's, it's bigger than that now. Our focus needs to be on allowing our learners to come to us where they are and to let them know and to let them feel that where they are is okay and we're going to meet them there. And by throwing tests and assessments and, and all of that stuff at them right now is, is not, it's, it's just, I just don't feel that it's healthy for them. And I, and it's, it's not, um, it's not healthy for their families. We have, you know, so many parents who are so worried about, oh my gosh, you know, my kid didn't get to go to kindergarten because of COVID and now they're in grade one and they don't know how to read. No, that's okay. That's okay. Because this is a different grade one than it was three years ago. And, you know, we need to, we need to, not only do we need to let our, our kids know that, you know, you are where you are and I'm going to meet you there and that's okay. We're going to get you to where you need to be. But we also need to let their families know that too. And if we're, constantly talking about learning loss and learning gaps, um, we're, we're creating 
stress. We're creating stress and nobody needs extra stress right now. We're all doing a great job of making sure that we have enough stress in our lives. So as educators, we need to make sure that we're uh, taking that burden away from parents and taking that burden away from our kids and, um, you know, be okay with meeting them where they are. Perfect. Love it. Daphne, if you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would it be and why? So it would have to be with, it would have to say, you just start. And why? Because that's how everything great happens. It, you just start. I love that. That's it. Simple, straight to the point. Yeah. There you go. So for anybody that's watching and you are seeing people like, you know, Daphne, the work that she's doing, you're seeing Brian, you're seeing Dr. Matthew Joseph, you're seeing Dr. Brandon Beck, you're seeing all of these people, what it is that they're doing. Guess what? You just start. Yeah. That's it. There's the secret. You just start. All right, Daphne. And the last question, one of my favorite questions that I love to ask my guests is if this was your show and I was your guest, what would be one question you'd like to ask me? Oh, that's a good one. What I'd like to ask you. Um, okay, I'm going to throw it back at you. What is something that um, people would not guess about you or would not, not that they would not know about you, but what's something that somebody would like, would not guess? that the, about you what is something that you would be able to tell them that they would say wow i had no idea oh man that is a good question i don't know I, i'm pretty i'm i'm pretty <laughs> open and transparent on social media so i think everybody but i don't think that anybody would actually there's anything there honestly i mean uh i don't know you kind of stumped me there that is such a good question i'd probably have to get back at you on that one but i don't know well the I'll throw some other things out there. I don't know many people. I know I've been hanging around a lot on, uh, you know, social media with the uh, punk rock classroom guys, Josh, uh, Josh Buckley and Mike Earnshaw and, you know, our love of music. And I don't think many people may have ever known that I was, uh, you know, a punk rock kid growing up. I was actually in a ska band. Played no saxophone. Way. Yeah, See, played there, you go. <laughs> there you go. Played saxophone in a ska band, played bass guitar in, uh, in a, what, another punk band, played a, um, what else did I play drums in another band? So, yeah, so they probably wouldn't think that I play, you know, a couple of instruments. So that's something that, uh, that might surprise some people that there is some musical talent uh, aside from all this podcasting life and all that good stuff. But yeah, so yeah, that, that would good. be it. Love and music. But yeah, so Daphne, I really appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and just really just sharing your passion and loving the work that you're doing. And just thank you for being open and honest with just how great it can actually be to just put some of these tools uh, on the, in the hands of the littles and they're growing up, they're building up, they're developing these skills that are cross-curricular, that are part of school. And, you know, we definitely need more advocates for that, you know, and starting them off younger. And thank you so much for the work that you do also for advocating for, you know, girls in STEM, women in STEM, because that's definitely something that's great. And just thank you so much for the work that you do, you know, for Codebreaker. I remember the very first time when, you know, I started seeing a little bit more of Codebreaker and being more aware. And I was like, hey, man, these guys are so cool. Like, I, I want to be I want to be part. And then I remember sending an email and you replied right away. And I said, hey, you know, can I 
can you guys put my podcast on there? They're like, yeah, welcome to the Code Breaker family and all this other stuff. And so just thank you so much for making me feel welcome, you know, through the work that you do. And uh, Brian also as well and everybody on the rest of the team because it's just been wonderful experience and really have learned a lot from you guys as far as just really being unapologetically me. And it has made me feel great where I feel comfortable in my own skin and in what I'm doing. And like, just like Brian said, you just start and that's what I've been doing and just continually moving forward. So thank you, Daphne. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Codebreaker, for everything that you're doing. And I did share the links uh, to how people can get to, uh, you know, connect with you on Twitter. And also there is the website here. If you want to go to Daphne McMenemy, Dot com. You can all go ahead and find her blog. You can find a little bit about Daphne too, as well as uh, you know, you can read a little bit about the work that she's doing. She's got all her social media links here as well. And of course you can also meet Gracie here and you can go ahead and find all the books and see where they are available for purchase. So make sure that you check out the website connect with Daphne, see the work that she's doing, make sure that you stop by and you yourself discover Gracie and bring Gracie into the classroom. And if you can, you can actually bring (laughs) Daphne into your classroom as well. So you make sure that you connect with her. And guys, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you to Josh Tovar, everybody that's watching, anybody that's going to be re-watching later or re-listening to the show. Thank you so much for making My EdTech Life what it is today. Please make sure that you visit our website, myedtech.life. Check out all our past episodes. Check out our blogs as well. And please, guys, give us some feedback. As always, for me, this is my passion to connect educators and creators one show at a time. Let us know what we're doing, what we're doing well. Let us know what you'd like to see. I'm always open, uh, you know, for any of your suggestions because we want to give you the best. I want to give you the best of me. So thank you so much for being part of our My EdTech family. And Daphne, as always, thank you so much for being part of my PLF, my personal learning family. And you always have an open invite here, my friend, anytime you you let us know and you can come back. So thank you so much to everybody. And this week, everything lined up tomorrow. We have Charles Williams on the show. We've got two shows back to back. That's a first in my EdTech life history. But when things line up, you take advantage of it and you just do it. So tomorrow, please make sure that you join us live with Charles Williams. We'll definitely be talking about leadership there as well. So again, guys, thank you so much. And until next time, my friends, don't forget, stay techie.